The U.S. Agency for International Development has always used private sector groups to deliver services in various countries. Now the agency has launched what it calls Private Sector Engagement Modernize to deal with the private sector in a new way. Here with the whys and hows, the executive director of USAID's Private Sector Engagement Hub, Michael Metzler. Mr. Metzler, good to have you on. Thanks for having me, Tom. Really appreciate it. So private sector engagement modernization, what's going on here? Yeah, well, so before we jump into modernize, maybe set the table a bit. So USAID is, is the U.S. government's development aid agency. We have programs all around the world in very different, in all different sectors from health, education, democracy, governance. And we've been programming this, this work and doing this work for the last 60 years. For the last 20 years, we've been doing some of that work through the private sector, in partnership, I should say, with the private sector. And why would we do that is, is very simple. If we want to extend our work, if we want to accelerate our development impact, if we want to have greater reach around the world, the private sector is a critical partner for us in doing that. So we've been doing it for a long time. We've gotten quite good at it. But what we've learned is as we look at really scaling that work around the world, which we want to do, there's a lot of, she say, obstacles within the agency itself to get that work done. And so the agency has set out a very, very bold vision to scale private sector engagement across the agency and mainstream it across all of our different programs. To realize that vision, what we've decided is we really got to take an internal look at how the agency is structured, its operating systems, its processes, because frankly, a lot of those over a long period of time were developed not with private sector engagement in mind. And so there are a lot of internal barriers that we're facing to really uh, realizing that vision of scaling private sector engagement. Our office, the hub, has taken on these this kind of burden busting within the agency. And so it's very different work than what we've traditionally done on the programmatic side, but it's pretty critical to realize that vision that, uh, that the agency has put out there. What are the obstacles to scaling private sector engagement? Unfortunately, there are many, but the, the good news is they can be addressed. So uh, many of your listeners will appreciate this within the federal government. Everything from our HR systems to our data gathering systems, our relationship management systems, our procurement systems. These are critical systems in, through which we do our work at USA. Many of your listeners do their work in their agencies. Yeah, some of them are bureaucratic. We, we live in and work in the federal government. But for aid, I think more, more to the point, they just weren't built originally. We're a 60-year-old agency. We've been doing private sector engagement for the past 20, 25 years. And we're still using basic processes and systems that were built not for private sector engagement. So what we're trying to do is not recreate those systems and processes. We're just trying to adapt them to make this work easier because we are convinced there's a lot of excitement around engaging in the private sector in development work all around the world. It is growing by the day. Our, our own policy on private sector engagement says the future of development is really to engage the private sector at scale. And so there's a lot of excitement around doing the work, but there's also a lot of frustration, frankly, both within the agency and outside with our partners. Once we partner with them, they say, we would love to do a lot more with USAID, but it takes too long. It's too expensive. It's pretty frustrating. And so sure. can you guys clean up your shop? And that's what we're doing. There seems to be two aspects to this. One is the procurement and data gathering and so forth processes yeah. for what the agency buys to operate itself and that it has in common with every agency. You've got to buy computers. Sure. You've got to buy office furniture. You've got to hire people. But the external engagements in the countries where USAID operates, you use nonprofits, local organizations, construction yep. companies, food yep. delivery companies, etc. Sure. So it's contracting with them 
using USAID dollars. That's the crux of the issue here? No, actually, I'm really glad you brought up that question because it, it, it's a really important distinction to make. What we're talking about when we say engaging the private sector, it's actually not on the procurement side in terms of the vendor relationship where we where we buy things either for our, our own offices around the world or even when we spend money within our programs through what we call our implementing partner. What we're talking about is working with the private sector on our actual programs. Let me give you a real quick example that uh, I think would be helpful. Coca-Cola. We've worked with Coca-Cola around the world. Not, not as a, They're not our vendor. They're our partner. And why do we work with Coca-Cola? Well, they have a real business interest around the world and getting clean water into their bottling plants. That, that, that They need that to make money to be successful. A very important development aim for a lot of our programs around the world is to help local communities access clean water and keep clean water systems in place, right? So there's a clear, direct overlap between our development interest and the community's development interest in Coca-Cola's business interest. Really good example of why we should work with Coca-Cola because together we can do a lot more than we could do separately on our own. And so that, so what we try to do is find those opportunities around the world with companies like Coke, we work with Pepsi, Starbucks, UPS. I mean, I can go on and on. We have sev- over 700 different relationships like that. That's what we mean by private sector partnership. And, and that's what we're trying to do more of with the private sector. Right. So that doesn't really lend itself to standard federal procurement at all. It, it doesn't. Like I said, for USA building system and operating model for what it needed for a long period of time. And then the agency really was a pioneer in, in saying, you know what, private sector is kind of trading a lot of the markets that they traditionally were not in, but we've always been in and the communities we care about more and more by the day, maybe we should start working with them. And that, that was 20, 25 years ago. And, and we've done some incredible partnerships over that time. And, and now we've matured in that work enough to step back and say, okay, what is now holding us back? It's not the culture of the agency. It's not the, uh, it's not the private sector itself. They're willing to work with us. Right now, what we're facing is, frankly, the bureaucracy that uh, wasn't built for it. We're going to adapt it for the future. That's what Modernize is all about. We're speaking with Michael Metzler, Executive Director of the Private Sector Engagement Hub at USAID. Yeah, because in some sense, you have to be arm's length because USAID doesn't exist to help the Coca-Cola company or anybody else. But yet in the country, that nation, those people and Coca-Cola have a common interest in, in this case, as you mentioned, fresh water or whatever the case might be, clean water. And so it sounds almost as if you might be looking at a memorandum of understanding approach as opposed to a procurement approach, just to make sure that everybody's interests remain separated, but yet you can cooperate on the end goal, which is clean water, in your case, for the people of XYZ Nation, and on Coca-Cola's case, clean water for Coca-Cola. Yeah, typically a lot of these partnerships are memorialized in things like memorandum of understanding, and usually they cover the entire relationship with each of our companies. One of the things we're doing under Modernize, actually, is professionalizing our relationship management function within the agency. So when we engage these companies at a global level, we actually can do it in a a way where we set multi-year strategies with them. We have dedicated professionalized folks that work that relationship to make sure we're doing is maximizing that relationship around the world, frankly, getting customer relationship management technology in place so we can actually track that relationship around the world. That, that, that's a really good example of where our systems haven't caught up to all these relationships. We have a very hard time tracking in real time everything we're doing with, use the Coke example, but again, there's, there's many more Coca-Cola all around the world. Well, if, if we're spending any amount of time 
not efficiently tracking that relationship and nurturing that relationship, we're wasting time, we're wasting energy on both sides of the relationship that could be better spent focused on more and new and scale programming with them. Plus, those companies also, those private sector engagees, if you will, can bring a lot of expertise to the issue as well. I mean, uh, you look inside a Coca-Cola bottling plant, there's probably a lot of technology and equipment that is common to a water processing plant. And I imagine in the case of Starbucks, if I don't know, do they roast beans? There's, you know, commercial operation of ovens. I'm just making this up. But that applies here, correct? Well, yeah, you're doing a good job of making it up because that's exactly it. I mean, you know, these if you look at the multinationals, but I, I let me just point out, I'm using multinational examples, but we also do a lot of sure. partnership at the local level with local private sector, which are also very critical to this. Just to kind of understand the model, you're exactly right. These these companies bring tremendous expertise, technology, logistics, reach, know-how, which is why it's important that we work with them because they bring capabilities to the table that we don't necessarily have, or they can bring it to the table at scale that we don't necessarily have. At the same time, they look at USAID for USA, what USA can bring to the table. And of course, we have a 60-year presence in a lot of these countries. We have a, a stellar reputation in most of these countries that they can partner with us on. We, we we're able to reduce their risk of entry into a lot of these countries, especially when they want to extend their supply chains and into, you know, geographies that we've been working for a long time. And so they look to us as they look to expand. We bring a lot to the table to help them and we're happy to help them if what they bring accelerates development and our development objectives. So everybody benefits from better development in nations that need better development. And if that happens to be the commercial interest, great. And if USAID's mission in helping countries join the modern economy, then great also. My question is, what's the first thing you're going to do under this? You've got a fact sheet. What are you actually doing first? Under Modernize. So Modernize, you know, as we took a step back and looked at the agency systems, we've identified nine critical areas. There are nine initiatives, sub-initiatives under, under Modernize. We, our administrator, Samantha Power, launched officially the whole Modernize initiative under her leadership in October. We had done a lot of pre-work on that. So we, we are moving forward on all nine of those those initiatives, probably the one we're furthest along is what I just mentioned, which is our relationship management system. We have to do a better job as an agency engaging, particularly our largest and most strategic corporate partners in a more holistic way as a way to maximize those relationships. So one quick example, we have identified the 30 most strategic relationships with the 30 most strategic multinational. We've put people in, in relationship management positions. That's part of their official position. We're professionalizing that. We're training them up and we're getting the right systems in place where we can track in real time across the whole agency where those relationships are, what is part of those relationships and where they're going. Yeah, often companies and federal operators don't even speak the same language. So <laughs> there's probably yeah. a way to harmonize that. So the You're you are exactly I, I you are exactly right. I mean that that's another big piece of what we're trying to do is education on both sides of that discussion because you're right, they do not we do not speak the same same language. Part of the professionalizing of that of that role is getting people actually from the private sector, ideally, that can come in and help us internally with not only speaking the language of the private sector, but just understanding how the private sector sees the world and how they think, because it's very different from the way we think internally. I would think that'd be a great opportunity for someone that's had a corporate career, sell the stock, divest of that company, but then you could really 
have a great public service piece to kind of crown it all. Yeah, I mean, I, you, you're touching on another major part of Modernize, which is the HR piece. Frankly, as an agency, we do a great job of, of attracting folks that have lived abroad, speak another language, worked in developing countries, our academics in the, in the technical area that we need them in. But we not do a great job attracting people from the private sector. And if we want to really change the agency and really, really scale what we're doing with the private sector, we need to do a much better job of attracting the private sector. One of the big burdens to attracting the private sector is what you pointed out, Tom, which is they see our job announcements, federal job announcements, and they can't understand what they're reading. So that, that, you know, that's like the first entry point. They have to understand what the job actually is. So part of what we're doing with our, our HR folks in partnership with our HR is like just really rethinking every step of the hiring process, performance management, all the way through to separation and every part of that life cycle of the HR life cycle, how can we adapt the systems to really uh, attract people from the private sector, keep them once we have them, train them up and really have them get them to a place where they can have successful private uh, public sector careers after they've done private sector work or we we attract them away from the private sector into the public sector. And how about you? Are you a career U.S. aider or are you from industry? So the irony is I am the latter. I, I am I am trying to hire less of people like me into the agency. Uh, I, I did not come from the private sector. I actually have, have a fairly typical background for uh, current hiring in USA. I was a, a Peace Corps volunteer. I spent some time in the NGO world, uh, went, got my development economics degree, and then uh, entered the agency there. So I, I've been, well, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I'm saying this a bit tongue in cheek. We definitely need all kinds of people coming into the agency. But, but as we look at the profile of the, of the workforce and aid, what is clearly missing is this piece on the private, attracting people from the private sector. So we just have to do a better job at that. We're not displacing other types of employees. We need them all. But if we do better in that, it's going to be a lot easier to change the agency from the inside if you get people from the out, coming in from the outside that understand better how the private sector operates. I would classify you as an optimist. Uh, I try. I, look, I, I do think we talk about this a lot. It is not easy to change a federal bureaucracy from the inside. And every, anybody that's trying to do that uh, knows that we're trying to do it in a, in a holistic fashion across nine different dimensions. And we're trying to do it as fast as we possibly can. It is tough work, there's no doubt about it, but um, but everybody that's involved in it knows that it needs to be done if we're really going to go to the next generation of private sector development and engagement within the agency. So I think people are generally excited about it. You know, folks like me that have been doing development a long time and then have to have to transition to figuring out how HR systems work and procurement systems work at a, at a level of detail I've never engaged. It's it's it's. It's sure. interesting. It's challenging, but it's interesting. But but it's uh, the, the payoff of all this is what really people have their set their sights on. Well, if you figure out the far in detail, let us know. <laughs> we just... have folks that are trying to do that right now. And are you actually doing this internally? That is to say, you don't have a $10 million contract with McKinsey or something. Another great question. We are all doing this internally. And in fact, uh, my personal view is that's the only way it's going to get done uh, because you really need people on the inside a lot of this is, you know, a lot of these, um, to change a lot of these systems, we really need strong partnerships and good relationships. And, you know, the first the first thing you need is leadership cover. And and frankly, we couldn't have better leadership cover from our current 
from the current administration. I mentioned our administrator, Samantha Power, has this view that we need to do what we're doing within Modernize across all of USAID programming. And so her leadership has been critical, but also partnership with our CIO colleagues has been great on some of the systems work. And our HR folks are really open to working with us on that. And so that's critical too, because if they weren't on board, um, it would not get done. And so I'm, I'm very happy with the internal collaboration that we've seen thus far. All right. We're going to check back with you in a few months to see how it's going. I would love it. I would love it. Really appreciate the time. Michael Metzler is executive director of the Private Sector Engagement Hub at USAID. Thanks so much for joining me. Take care, Tom. And we'll post this interview along with a fact sheet about the new engagement initiative at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership Today especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and 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 physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in direct care, and and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are are really um, you know we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know I'll take a look at it and see, see you know throw send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. and you know, uh, Terrell, who who works in in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's you know getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has a has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And 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 you think of I I you know often when he'll walk away, I'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out. And come on, you know, like look at look at Terrell. Like he, he he faces everything with optimism, and 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 I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally. You see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents when they were born were often told this is a tragedy, and you should you should you know send your this child away. Don't don't you know and kind of forget about them. Get, turn them over to the state or or wherever. And and you know that you know just kind of watch, watch your hands a bit. 
Um, and 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 in in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know. And but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming, and uh, and and you know, besting their times from from their last competition, and they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a- the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and I mean, we work hard and you know, we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day. But uh, man, you see, it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest, 
people that you will meet and and uh and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is is how you'll learn it check us out uh you know uh, specialolympics.org on on our website uh that will link you to your local program you can follow through the the clicks of how to get involved and where what's closest to you you'll enjoy it i can promise you that well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll uh, talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.